Welcome to the 279th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Matt Wallace, author of the forthcoming epic fantasy novel, Savage Legion. The book will be in bookstores July 21st. Stay tuned for my interview with Matt Wallace. Consider expanding your reading and adding an author of color to your to-be-read pile. One author to consider is Samuel Delaney, Chip Delaney to his friends. Samuel Delaney is an American author and literary critic. His works include science fiction, memoir, criticism, and essays on science fiction, literature, sexuality, and society. His fiction includes Babel 17, The Einstein Intersection, Nova, Dahlgren, and the Return to Neverion series. Delaney is a four Nebula Award winner and two Hugo Awards over the course of his career. And in 2002, he was inducted into the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame. Check out Samuel Delaney and stay tuned for my interview with Matt Wallace. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Matt Wallace author of the new epic fantasy novel, Savage Legion. Matt is the Hugo-nominated author of Rencor, Life in Grudge City, and the Sin Du Jour series, and he won a Hugo Award alongside Mer Lafferty for the fan cast Ditch Diggers. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jeff. That was a very uh, impressive introduction. Even I was impressed with myself just then, so thank you. <laughs> Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Savage Legion yet, how would you describe your new novel? Uh, I would pitch it to them the way my agent pitches it, because he's much better at this kind of thing than I am. He calls it a uh, he calls Savage Legion a full frontal assault on the epic fantasy genre's worst instincts, and I like that a lot, because that's pretty much what I was trying to do. Um, more specifically, though, it's about three very different women uh, in three very different parts of a seemingly utopian society who all discover sort of on their own that the society is not so utopian after all, and they have to take their own steps to sort of expose that and ultimately bring it down, which is why the series overall is called the Savage Rebellion series. Great. So Savage Rebellion series, do you have additional novels already planned or working on? Uh, we do. I've written the second one. We're planned for three right now, and that's sort of uh, where my synopsis for the whole thing takes me is three books, uh, and that's that's where we're supposed to be going. But hey, you never know. This this wacky journey called publishing that we're on, you never know what could happen. Sure. Well, do you remember the original idea that led you to write Savage Legion? I do. I really, I do. It was, uh, it's it's very interesting. Very interesting because I've never really taken this long with any single work, and this was a very different thing when it started out and that was back in maybe 2011 or 2012. And I, I just had an idea. I wanted to write a very simple straight ahead sort of military epic fantasy. Like I'd grown up reading. And the idea I had was about a specialized military unit uh, that was comprised basically of this society's undesirables, you know, the homeless, the disabled state dissidents, people they wanted to get rid of. They would abscond from the street and conscript them secretly into this unit called the savage legion where they would basically be used as human artillery. You know, they're not given training. They're not given really good weapons or anything. They're literally hurled at the enemy's front lines <laughs> to create chaos and confusion. So the real army could come behind and sweep things up. And Cannon fodder. Cannon fodder, exactly, literally cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. um, launched in some cases. And 
and using this tactic, this uh, this uh, empire would have uh, been very successful, you know, in conquest and spreading their empire, and also keeping their core society seemingly perfect and free of crime and poverty and disease and all these things by using this horrible tactic. And the story was originally just going to be about someone who was conscripted into the Savage Legion and sort of figured out what it was and fought back against it. And from there, it just, over time, it grew much more in scope and the world grew bigger. And I added two more characters and really started examining more of the society from different angles. And it became much more of like an epic fantasy take on the wire, you know, examining the different parts of these societies. And that's, that's where we got to in the end. It just took a long time to get there, but I, I, I hope it was, I hope the journey was worth it for readers and myself ultimately. So I'm curious what took you so long. You just mentioned that it took longer than you had envisioned. What oh, absolutely. Was that process? Well, I, you know, I've, I tend toward short form and I started out writing short stories and I'd never done an epic fantasy before. I'd never, I never attempted something this large in scope and this length. And I really, I, what I found out is I basically had to learn how to do that as I went. And I ended up rewriting the book several times and, and just, and over time I took up other things. I did my entire Sin Jour series that you mentioned, you know, while I was, while I was working on Savage Legion. And it was really just that it was, I, it was attempting something that was beyond really like my natural instincts and inclinations. and was really kind of a struggle for me personally, just in the way I write and the way I view things. But like I said, I think it was a worthwhile one. And I was determined that, you know, having grown up loving epic fantasy, that I was going to make my offering to the genre and I was going to make that happen. So I think that's one of the reasons I stuck with it for so long. Like I really, I really love the story, but I also just really wanted to like put my own stamp on this genre. Not that that may sound grandiose, but it was really just, I just wanted to write my epic fantasy novel, you know? So you just mentioned the struggle um, can you talk about that a little, little bit more? What was the struggle exactly for you? Was it the length? It was really, um, it was managing so much uh, narrative and so many facets uh, over such a long sustained uh, period, you know, because that was just, I tend to think of structure in, in tighter terms and I tend, I tend to think of uh, arcs and I guess shorter bursts. So planning this elaborate world where you're seeing these three different sides of it and each side really is sort of its own novel. You know, that's, I ended up thinking of it as, cause I was writing novellas, uh, the, going back to the Sinister series. What really kind of clicked it for me finally was I ended up thinking of it as three novellas that I sort of combined together. Three very long novellas cause it's a long book, but it, it was really that thing of, I struggled for a long time to fit everything together and make it one linear, consistent narrative. And what kind of broke it for me finally was stepping back and going, it's really three narratives that overlap in points and I just need to let them live and breathe independently while kind of keeping each other in mind. And once I started thinking of it in those terms, it got a lot easier for me, but it took a long time to get to, to that point for me. And was there anything along the way that, that helped guide you to, to feeling more comfortable with that? Was it maybe looking at books that had been published or what, what was it exactly? Or was it just a process personally to get comfortable with what you were just saying of, of letting the, the different narratives just kind of live on their own? I think it was several things. I think time was, was just a big factor. You know, it's just, it was the process of working on it and trying different things, not having them work out, trying something different. Eventually you just sort of figure out the recipe. I think the other two factors were, as I mentioned, doing a, doing a seven part novella series that was very episodic, but also told a story overall and have a, had an overarching arc that take, taking the structure that I came up for that and applying it to this really helped. 
And then the other factor really was honestly just in the interim I signed with the agent that I'm with now. And the onus was on me finishing this book so we could get it, take it out. So having that kind of pressure on me actually really helped. I work a lot better when I have external, externally imposed deadlines. I'm not good with uh, self-imposed deadlines. So I think all of those factors together is what finally brought me to the end of this very long process. It's interesting. You earlier mentioned this epic fantasy version of The Wire. I don't think I've ever heard a tagline exactly like that before, um, especially as someone who's a huge fan of The Wire. Oh, well, that makes me feel very good. <laughs> it's very hard to originate anything, and I doubt that I, that I have here. But, yeah, I just I love the way that The Wire, um, again, told this, this story of basically a whole city from all of these different facets and, and really explored the fact that so many different worlds – Entire worlds, entire insular worlds and cultures can all exist within the same really condensed ecosystem. And I just always thought, why not apply that to, you know, because one of the things we love about epic fantasy is the intrigue, you know, the political monastic intrigue, that whole Game of Thrones thing. Like, every, like we love that. So why not apply that kind, of, that kind of narrative structure to an epic fantasy and explore it on those terms from those kinds of different perspectives, kind of picking the system apart in that way? Well, well, earlier, if I'm if I am paraphrasing you, cor- <coughs> excuse me, correctly, you mentioned the novel as an attack on epic fantasy's worst instincts. What are the worst instincts that you had in mind specifically? Uh, well, a lot of it had just had to do with. I, I started from the premise that, like, what if what if you wrote an epic fantasy novel that was aware of other epic fantasy novels, right? Not in a meta sense, not in a sense of like we all know this is fiction, but. Just if they were able to learn the lessons from the thousands of epic fantasy novels that came before that all kind of did the same thing. One of the key things was that idea of like a nobility that seems to center so many stories, that idea of blood succession and that sort of idea of noble classes based on birth, which is just such a ridiculous, completely flawed system of rule in any context. And we know that and it's been proven over and over again. And in every story I've ever read about nobility being oppressive it all ends the same way. It all goes horribly to crap. So I wanted, first and foremost, to write a, an epic fantasy story that had learned that lesson already, that had been through this whole uh, very prototypical, you know, that whole medieval European nobility blood succession thing. They'd been through that and learned how flawed it was, and they sort of corrected that in their system of uh, bureaucracy and their system of government. And it just it was very intriguing to me to, like, what would it look like if an epic fantasy society had already replaced that and had a few generations to thrive on its own removed from that. And that was the, one of the biggest tropes that I really wanted to take on. And then uh, just, you know, the, the things like, again, coming back to that, that very standard, like European medieval, you know, generic kind of setting. I wanted to kind of get away from that and get into something. In my case, it was, I think it was more vaguely like Southeast Asian influence and just bringing more flavors to epic fantasy than you generally see or have seen in traditional stuff. Not that, Epic fantasy isn't being written from a million different amazing angles now by a million different amazing writers, but just the stuff I grew up reading was very stock and very standard and all kind of the same. And I just wanted to both comment on that and get away from it and then put my own twist on it. So what are your earliest memories of books and reading? Oh, that's a good one. Um, the first, I think the first novel I read start to finish was a Dragonlance book, actually. 
in uh, in middle school. I had not I hadn't I'd read a lot since I was a kid. I had my mom got me like the illustrated classics and whatnot, Three Musketeers and all that. But the first actual novel I read cover to cover was the third book in the original Dragonlance trilogy, uh, Dragons of Spring Dawning, because I found it under my desk in language arts class. So I started with the third book in a trilogy. I hadn't read the other two books yet, but I read that one. And then I went through all the Dragonlance books after that, and then I was kind of off to the races with fantasy. And then uh, when I read um, Poppy Z. Bright a few years later, that kind of got me into horror and really, really subversive uh, original use of language and everything. And those are two books that stand out very early in my, my personal canon. So what was the path to publication for you to writing and publishing your first novel? Had you always wanted to be a writer? What, what was kind of the the um, interim between reading uh, Poppy Zebride and, and uh, the Dragonlance books to writing your own stories? Uh, I mean, again, a long one. I, I always wanted to be a writer. I really did. I from from very early on, like in kindergarten, you know, I, I would illustrate stories and I would dictate the prose to my mother, who'd write it down. She still has a bunch of them. They're terrible, uh, but show promise, Jeff. They did they did show promise for a kindergartner. And I started submitting short stories uh, in my early teens and in childhood, and I have rejections from like Highlights magazine for kids and stuff. So I did. I, I was at it from a very early, early age, but. In my mid-teens, I kind of got away from it, and I ran off to New York, and I became a professional wrestler for 10 years. So that sort of removed me from the pursuit of publishing and taking it forward. And eventually, when I kind of fell out of that and took that as far as I could take it, I sort of circled back to, to writing again and started sending out short stories again. And I think my first published short story was in 2005. And from there, I just started doing short fiction a lot. I had uh, a short story collection come out all the way back in 2008 from Apex Publications. That was my first book. And then I had the good slash bad fortune of having a short story option for film uh, in the Australian market, of all things. The Wonders of Technology was on a podcast that, that got heard in Australia. And they actually allowed me to write the screenplay for that. So then I started pursuing screen, screenwriting for several years. And had successes and failures with that. Moved out to L.A. to pursue it. Got my first TV writing job. Had my first TV series end. Wasn't able to get another TV series. And then finally circled back around to doing novels again, uh, like I think in 2013 or 14. So if that made any sense in context, I, I, I know that's a long, it was a little rambly. But yeah, that was, that was basically the process. From wanting to do it at an early age to doing something completely different to coming back to it to taking roads I hadn't anticipated and then circling all the way back to actually finally getting to write a novel and publish it uh, with a big publisher. It was a very long, long road. And so what TV show did you work on? I worked on an entertainment television show called uh, The Evolution Of, which if you bought an Apple TV five years ago, it was on your Apple TV. You actually had a TV show written by me on your Apple TV that you probably never watched. And it was... (laughs) It was a profile of various celebrities and musicians that was composed of pre-existing interview footage that this company had in its stores. <laughs> so, and it sounds ridiculous, and it was, but it was actually a very interesting narrative challenge for a writer. I had to take completely random, unrelated interview clips that had been shot at various points over years, and I had to find some way to compose a story out of that, some kind of coherent biographical narrative. So I would write narration, kind of a behind-the-music VH1 sort of vibe, and I would actually write 
uh, interviews they would intersperse with quote-unquote media experts who were actually just interns from the production office and aspiring actors. Uh, and I did 25 episodes of that. I wrote that whole first season. They were half hours. And it was internationally distributed by Fremantle. It was, it was a big deal. But, uh, yeah, that was my first official television writing gig. So at, as you were talking about getting your first short story published in 2005 and then uh, a few years later having your first uh, collection, um, as you worked on getting your first short stories published, were there any specific writing challenges that you had to overcome or figure out, whether it be characterization, plotting, or dialogue? Uh, I mean, I think all of that... That was more of a naturalistic process. I was, it's just writing and rewriting and figuring and figuring that out. I think the biggest thing for me back then was just, you know, you're, I know it sounds it sounds trite, but you're really trying to find your voice at that point. You're trying to figure out like who you are as a writer, and I think it's less about the individual mechanics of things. At least for me, it was more about like what am I interested in and what am I trying to say? Because I had so many ideas, I love so many different genres. I just it was very hard for me to like nail down. Okay. This is the idea I have. This is a story I want to write. This is what I want to say with it. And maybe in those early days, I think I probably equated too much of like what I write is who I am. So like if I write something, it has to be this perfect encapsulation of like my beliefs and who I am as a person, which is way too much pressure to put on a story you're writing when you're like 23 years old. But I definitely think I did that. So when I think back on that early stuff, I think that's really what I centered a lot of my challenges or what I thought of as my challenges around was just trying to figure out what is my voice? What do I want to do? And what do I want to say with it? You know? So what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories or novels and hoping to get them published? Um, it sounds like such a simple question, but it's so incredibly not. Um, I mean, those are, first of all, those are like two different things. There's writing the novel, there's crafting the art, and then there's the commercial side of it, which is trying to sell what you create. And I, I am a big believer in both of those processes, but also compartmentalizing them to a certain degree. Like, I like what I do to live on its own, and I like to live with it on its own before I start thinking about and finish it before I start thinking about the commercial aspects of it. So I guess that would be advice in and of itself. It's like, if you're working on your first novel, if you're writing with thoughts towards getting published and becoming an author, set, set that aside. Just focus on the work first. Focus on finishing a significant thing that you are happy with, that you feel you executed the best you could. And then you can deal with the aftermath of that, which is looking for the agent, finding a publisher, deciding what route you want to go with all of that. But like, let, let what you do exist on its own before you start imposing all these commercial restrictions and, and things on it. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'm doing, uh, I wrote my first middle grade book uh, recently and we, we, we took that out and sold it. And I share an editor with uh, Tiffany Jackson, uh, who recommended her work very highly. And I've been reading a lot of uh, her stuff, uh, Let Me Hear a Rhyme, um, allegedly. And uh, she's an amazing author, uh, books for younger readers, really, really, but really, really complex stuff. And uh, my favorite epic fantasies as of late, I'm really into Evan Winter, uh, The Rage of Dragons. The second book in that series is supposed to come out in November. I'm like hounding Evan and his editor to like get me an advanced copy because I love that series so much. Really bringing uh, more of an African flavor to what we think of as that yeah, traditional epic fantasy, whatever the hell that means. 
Yeah, um, I interviewed I interviewed him for the podcast when it came Oh, out. did you? Yeah. yeah, great guy. Love yeah, love Evan and Dev. Yeah, really good book. Fantastic writer. I, I have nothing but high hopes for that series. Just achieving great things over time. Um, really looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I've been that's what I've been into lately. And I uh, wish I you know I like every other working author. I wish I had way more time for reading than I do. You got the the two the to be read pile is just to the ceiling. Sure. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and Savage Legion? Absolutely. Um, so by the time this airs, it hasn't actually launched yet, but we're relaunching my website. And by the time this comes out, you should be able to find me at Matt-Wallace.com. I'm very frequently on Twitter at MattFNWallace. Uh, and I also have a YouTube channel called Angry Writer uh, that uh, I update as often as I can. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Matt Wallace, author of the new epic fantasy novel, Savage Legion. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Matt, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. Really appreciate you. Great. Thanks a lot. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and writing podcast special offer, get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.